You're listening to an ACA podcast. Um, thank you for joining us this evening. My name is Agnes Whalen. Um, I'm the Public Programs Assistant at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art, or ACA, where we are. Um, I would like to begin by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the sovereign custodians of the land on which ACA is situated, and we extend our respect to the elders past, present, and emerging, and to all First Nations people who may be here with us today. Today's workshop is part of the exhibition and research project, Who's Afraid of Public Space? which explores the role of public culture, the contested nature of public space, and the character and composition of public life. Who's Afraid of Public Space takes place here at ACCA and also extends across Melbourne with a series of satellite exhibitions in collaboration with cultural partners as well as installations, events, and projects in the public realm. Before we start, I'd also like to share a bit more about this wonderful space that we're sitting in, um, which was designed for the exhibition by designers Nicola Cortese, Lauren Crockett, and Stephanie Parnas, who were invited to think about libraries and the possibilities for a public resource room within an exhibition about public space. This reading space includes a library of written materials on public art, public culture, and public space that have been donated, selected, and recommended as an outcome of an open call and a collaboration with the Melbourne Art Library. You can also donate, loan, or suggest a publication via our website. Tonight's panel will be led by Nell Fraser from Melbourne Art Library. Established in 2020, Melbourne Art Library is a non-for-profit lending library that collects specialised art and design texts. Their reading room is at the Nicholas Building in the CBD, and they are open four days a week. Congrats. <laughs> we are also joined today by Romani Manuel, who is the liaison librarian in art, design, and architecture at Monash University Library. Romani will also further, be further introduced by Nell. A few housekeeping items. Um, please silent your phone throughout the event. Um, and if you have water, um, just be very careful <laughs> with the consumption and maybe limit that to outside of the gallery space if possible. Um, and we'll also be taking questions towards the end of the discussion. Thank you for joining us, and I will hand over to Nick. Thank you, Agnes, and thank you, Aka, for having us and everybody who's here um, as part of our audience today. Uh, my name is Nell, Nell Fraser, and from the Melbourne Art Library. Uh, so I have only recently become a librarian, but have a background working in cultural collections and in art history. Uh, so most recently as the general manager at the Castamain Art Museum. And I'll let Romani introduce herself. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I'm Romani, and uh, until tomorrow, I'm <laughs> the librarian at Monash, looking after art, design and architecture. And I've actually been the subject librarian for art, design and architecture for seven years. Um, but recently they changed the title to Liaison Librarian, which I think is a little bit different. Um, but, you know, that's the way it goes. We'll talk more about that in a sec. And, yeah, and so I'm going to ASA, which is the Australian Council of Educational Research, and I'll be a librarian over there. So I'm not giving up librarianship at all. But it's a bit sad to say goodbye to art librarianship, which is why it's so lovely to be here with you all, to kind of celebrate the end of something and the beginning of something new, and thinking about librarianship into the future. And you're also the current president of the Australian Library, uh, the 
the Art Library Society of Australia and New Zealand. Yes, yes, that is absolutely true. And we have the Treasurer and the Secretary of the Art Library <laughs> Society as well. Yeah, so the way that the Art Library Society works is that each state takes turns with the national executive and they have to run a conference. So we'll be running a conference later this year online if I can get my act together. <laughs> and you're all invited, so I'll try and reach out to everybody and, and you can come along and learn even more about art librarianship. Wonderful. <laughs> and just to introduce this event a bit further, this is one of three forums or discussion events in um, a series that we've called Distribution. We hope that the series will run um, further beyond these three events that we're having at ACCA. So um, this was supposed to be the first, <laughs> the first of the three, but with COVID, we've reshuffled uh, re a bit. So we, um, about two weeks ago, held a discussion on alternative collections with the Australian Queer Archives and the Women's Art Register. And we have an upcoming discussion with uh, some publishers of art serials in Melbourne. So the whole hope of these discussions is that we make visible and prod and question the ways in which information and arts information is shared and the active role that we can play as librarians, as publishers, as readers, as writers to kind of disrupt that flow of information or um, share particular stories and that kind of thing. So today we'll talk specifically about art librarianship. Yes. <laughs> Good. Let's. Yeah. So perhaps to start with, I'm interested to hear how your understanding of librarianship or what libraries are and what librarians do has changed kind of throughout your life, I guess, both as a school student going to a library and then studying librarianship and now having been a subject librarian for seven years? Yeah, totally. This is a good question and it's a question that I asked other librarians in my PhD mm -hmm. as well, like what has changed, if anything? Mm. I feel like librarians have a tendency to talk about change all the time, to say, oh, you know, before we had the internet, it was all different, there were car catalogues and, and now, um, you know, you've got Google and, mm. you know, but I don't know, like I think there's just as many strands that you can trace all the way from, you know, Dewey in the early days mm -hmm. to what we do now and maybe that's a bad thing, like maybe actually what we should be doing is not having these same things but like trying to make change where it doesn't exist, maybe. Anyway, so <laughs> changes. Um, I suppose... Ellen and I talk about this a lot. Ellen's a librarian as well. We talk about the conceptualization of librarianship. Mm -hmm. And I suppose when I came into this job of being an art librarian, I had this idea that there were quadrants. So that the job could be split into four parts and that's reference and teaching and collection development and professional development. Mm -hmm. But when you think about that, really all of the things are connected you can't really have a reference conversation with people and you know in references what librarians refer to as you know it's like a question and answer basically so someone will come in and say ah oh, do you have a book about fish and you'll have to un unpack I to do a lot of role playing for that in my <laughs> you need to get qualified as a librarian lots of role playing oh for my that. God. <laughs> so good and sometimes the questions are really weird um, but I've made some terrible mistakes as well. So there was, 
I thought someone was asking for Roman baths and they were asking for Roland Bart. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Only a librarian mistake, really. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Um, God. But so these four areas, right, depending on where you are in the library, you can look at this from a different perspective. So some people are only really concerned with collection development. Um, some people are only concerned with teaching, so standing up in front of a class and trying to get people to find information themselves. And some people only answer and questions at the front desk. But really what was amazing about the role of a subject librarian was that you got to do all of this stuff. And I know at Melbourne Uni it's a little bit different and at other libraries it's, yeah, quite different. But at least then you can see the whole process of like finding an incredible book, um, you know, telling somebody about it, showing someone how to find it in the catalogue, like when you're teaching a class, and then like working on yourself and you know, developing your own understanding of, of information. Yeah, so I think the changes are that these parts have been fractured and you know, torn apart and you know, whatever we can outsource, well, we're gonna outsource that and put it in a vending machine and have people access things that way. Like, yeah, I, th I think it's, it's sad. Hmm. Yeah. And I think one of the joys of working or volunteering in a small library is because yes. you, there isn't that fragmentation. You get to do a bit of everything. I was lucky enough to kind of experience the biggest of libraries and the smallest of libraries in that I started um, my professional clear, uh, career at the National Library wow. working in digitisation and photography there. So I was one of hundreds of staff and had a very kind of specific role, I guess. But it uh, really demonstrated to me the different, ro the different roles that a library plays in terms of um, even just the diversity of collections, not realising that state libraries and national libraries hold physical objects and pieces of furniture at times and um, books bound in human skin at the National Library. There's all kinds of weird things. Um, but then after that, I worked as a librarian at the National Museum where there were only two staff members. Um, myself and my supervisor, um, and a specialised collection, about 35,000 books on Australian history, Australian art, um, the environment. And being in that role was fantastic, and I had a wonderful supervisor who taught me librarianship, <laughs> different, different ways to catalogue and indexing a lot of things, and um, yeah, reference inquiries and talking to curators on staff, all kind of everything from sticking a label to kind of more conceptual things and I'm so glad that I got to work in that small library because being only two people you did everything and I wouldn't want to live I wouldn't want to work in a public library where my role is just to catalogue or just to do um, reference inquiries at the front desk it's yeah the segmentation kind of degrades what the role is I feel yeah I think so yeah yeah <laughs> Maybe in question time, people might have solutions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so do you think that art librarianship is any different to general librarianship? Or, yeah, has your working as a subject specialist in this area um, changed how, how you think a librarian should work or could work? Yeah, I think... Oh, it's it's so hard to say because you know this is my own personal opinion and of course other people will have different perspectives um, but what it's felt like to me is that it's more creative and more collaborative so in terms of collection development there's no way that I could have developed 
a massive collection at Caulfield in the library without having millions of students and academics and people passing through suggest things to me, really. And sometimes that happened in really formal ways. So um, for the development of the graphic novel collection that we had at Caulfield, you know, we had a running list of people that had stumbled across some small press and a beautiful graphic novel that someone had produced, we'd put it on the list and that would get bought in the next month or so. Like, and the turnaround was incredible, the engagement was so great. Oh, it was, it was just wonderful. Yeah. Oh. And, and do users shape the library at Monash in ways other than suggesting items for the collection? Do you think that they're active players in how the library's shaped? Oh, God, yeah. Um, yeah, from the explicit to the implicit. So we've had students that have created book art and hidden it in the shelves, and I know it's still there, so I'm leaving it behind, it, including one that you open and... It's just sounds. It's just sounds of rain. I found that last year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it had a call number and everything. Yes, I printed one for yeah. it. <laughs> and it's not on the catalogue, obviously, yeah. but it's just like, you know. That <laughs> well, there's more if you ever go back. You can, uh-huh. yeah. Big library to look through. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but. You know, everything that you do has a mark on the collection. So in terms of um, the way that people use books, so I try and explain this to management, like, you know, art students, if it's a huge book, they're not going to take it out. You know, you're not going to put it in your backpack and take it home. But what you are going to do is open it on the floor, all your friends will sit around and you'll leaf through these pages together and have a look but that means it doesn't get a statistic on the system Mm -hmm. so if it's never borrowed it looks like it's never been used and to management that says well that book can be chucked out then can't it Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) so then you've got to kind of like uh, yeah I don't know ask um, please can we put them on a table and have the shelving staff you know, check them in before they put them away uh, the next day. Like, there are ways around that, for sure. But, you know, trying to raise that in an organisation as big as Monash, I mean, that was impossible. Yeah. Jen's a shelver. Oh. You were. <laughs> no, you're beyond that now. <laughs> yeah. And it is hard. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to change processes like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. We, our library is quite different in terms of we, um, we haven't, purchased books we've only got them donated to us so users are so powerful in the sense that they dictate exactly what our collection is by um, what they contribute and Fee and I, Fee works for the library as well, um, we were discussing just before this forum the role of donors as users of our library that a lot of people come and donate texts so that it can be included in a collection so that it can be on record. Uh, we had a book donated today um, by uh, Jeff Stewart, who is part of the Victorian Spiritualists Union in North Melbourne, and they have this collection of works by Georgina Horton, an English painter. Um, but he emailed and said, I've written this book, can I donate it? And looking it up in um, the Australian National Bibliographic Database, it only has one other holding in Ballarat, and it felt quite... It, that's in all of Australia and it felt quite special that he's come into the library to um, contribute his book to the collection and so that it can be 
um, in the context of an art library, it can be in circulation and more people can read his work and learn about this artist. So, yeah, users for us are, I think, both donors who kind of <laughs> entrust us with, <laughs> with their, their creative output, but also those who come in to read and borrow. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have donors too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that absolutely happens. Yeah. And usually they're, you know, sessional academics or researchers that are passing through to give mm-hmm. a talk. Um, and one of the new policies is that we don't take books like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which. <laughs> <laughs> eh, what are you going to do? Yeah. Luckily. Suggest. Yeah, yeah suggest they come to us. <laughs> That's what I've been doing. I'm like, have you heard about Melbourne Art Library? Because they take all of these yeah. kinds of things. You're going to love it there. And I just pass them on down the road. Yeah. Good. <laughs> and, but theses is something that's very different that you would build um, quite, I mean, yeah, lots of people would deposit their theses in. Oh, 100%. Collection, yeah. Yeah, so with fine art and design, mm. sometimes architecture, we usually call them exegeses. Mm. So sometimes they're a thesis as well. Um, we totally collect those. Mm. And oh, the, the issue of whether we can keep them in print or digitally is a massive issue because people want to come in and see um, what is embossing and what is debossing. And when I'm choosing one for my thesis, what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. So to be able to pull one out and say, well, here's one I prepared earlier, have a look. I mean, that's incredible. But the other thing is um, images in the exegesis. So some people put them in, like as the referencing style Turabian suggests, you must include the image as close to where you discuss it as possible in your text. (laughs) You'll learn that next year, (laughs) to be honest. But some people just make a whole other book yeah. of images. Yeah. So then that becomes like you know a volume two of the thesis, mm. which is an incredible resource for people who are looking at how works influence someone who is a contemporary artist. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Definitely. Yeah. And thinking about the physical form of a book, do you think, I mean, in, at Monash Library, is there, um, is there a trend towards moving to online resources? Do you think that there's a future for a physical library in a university? Ah, I wish there was. I, I really wish there was, but I don't think there is. Yep. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe other people will disagree later on. Um, yeah, my God, it's sad. Yeah. It's so <laughs> sad because... <laughs> Serendipity. So librarians love to talk about serendipity. So walking into the shelves and all of a sudden this book pops out at you that you didn't even know existed and it's perfect for what you're researching. It's just incredible. So we try and replicate that in search systems all the time by having like little tiny pictures of, you know, what's next to this book on the shelf as if that would replicate that idea. No, it doesn't. But having said that, there are people that are coming up with new ways to display catalogue information all the time. So I've seen catalogues that are like, um, the more people click on a book, the bigger it grows Mm. and the other books kind of diminish into the background. Or uh, if you click on one book, it'll be like Amazon. It'll say, if you like this, you might like this one over here. So there are other ways to get around it. But yeah, I mean... Yeah, it never quite replicates the serendipity of just walking along some shelves because sometimes it's as much as, oh, I like the colour of the spine of that book. Exactly. Or what is that 
very tiny book on a shelf of very large books. Like it can oh. be something so kind of novel as that totally. that grabs your attention and then it's the most relevant book you've ever found oh <laughs> to whatever you're researching. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, I'm just crazy about my e-reader. You know, having the possibility of getting all of that information instantly and right on this thing that I can hold in one hand while I'm asleep in bed. Mm. Yeah. This is a bit different to the questions that I told you I would be asking you. But, um, oh, it's a surprise question. <laughs> okay. The thing about digital resources and about um, wanting to read something on your e-reader or um, even if we were to digitise things in our library, what are your thoughts on copyright as a librarian and on sharing information that is in copyright if we just photocopied a book and sent it around? I have my official opinion and, then, <laughs> and I have my personal opinion. And personal opinion? <laughs> yeah. um, my personal opinion is let's just bloody well share things, honestly. Like, especially with textbooks. The author of a textbook makes almost no money and sometimes completely no money. I, I just wrote a chapter for a book. Mm-hmm. I got nothing out of it. I wrote that chapter in my free time. Yeah. The library then had to buy that book back yeah. for wow. you know $300 mm-hmm. or something. It's a ridiculous system. It really is. So until we come up with some better way to compensate authors for the things that they're doing, what, we don't have a choice. We just have to work around it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this amazing database. Um, I call it the Anarchist Library. Other people call it ARG. <laughs> Has anyone seen it? Yeah. I think I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was developed by someone at Monash. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. so that tells me, well, mm. the library's doing something wrong. You know, mm. like if, if that is developed by a person that was working at Monash at the time, yep. they didn't come to the library and say, hey, we need these officially digitised. Yes. They yeah. went out and created their own system and that system has taken off worldwide. Yeah, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, that is a big statement. Yeah. It is, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Oh, my God. And if management could see that, like, it, seriously, <laughs> wouldn't that say something to you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It would. Yeah. It would. And that's, it's the fun thing about um, working on the project at the Melbourne Art Library is that we're trying to, I mean, we, I have a background in librarianship, but no one else in the team did. So it was trying to look at the question of what a library is or what a library could be, specifically a library for artists and arts practitioners or people that are curious about art. And yeah, really kind of just build that up from scratch. Oh um, my goodness. So hopefully <laughs> not facing the problems of oh management. Yeah. Um, which has been a, a lot of fun. Um, yeah, and something that we can continuously learn from. Oh, and totally useful to me during COVID because there were things that I just couldn't get catalogued. Yeah. And I'd just send them to you. <laughs> and then they just appear on your yeah. system. Yeah. And then I could say, well, if you want it, you know, you could go to Mal and pick it up from there. Yeah. I think, but, you know, why should we be doing these underhand kind of deals between mm. us for the free <laughs> flow of information? Yeah. Like, Very uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to think of how to write, turn all my thoughts into an, another question. Oh, good. <laughs> um, so. Uh, hmm. I mean, 
being in an academic library is a very different context to where we are. It is. As a, just a small public library generally. And this kind of exhibition that we're in is about public space. Do you, I mean, I know officially by the Australian Tax Office that university libraries are classified as public libraries. Do you think that, do you think that university libraries are public libraries or what's your idea on kind of the, the publicness of those spaces? Yeah. The space specifically, so if space and resources, and, yeah. yeah. Oh god, that's so hard. <laughs> so in terms of space, there are so many barriers to entry, and more now, really, with COVID, because you've got to show your ID at the door. Um, they're turning away people that aren't students from some libraries, other libraries they let you in. You've got to wear a mask. You've got to be confronted with security, which can be very triggering for some people. Then you've got security gates, mm-hmm. and even though I know, like. Sometimes you don't even turn on the security gates, <laughs> but that's imposing. Like there It's they are. still performative. It really yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got that whole lot of library anxiety, and there's so much research around that. Like mm. you know, the anxiety that people feel going into libraries, yep. not knowing how the system works, having to ask someone. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they're the least public, really. <laughs> they are. Um, but then, having said that. If they've got the most money mm. and they subscribe to things like um, there's a, the bonus system or interlibrary loan, you know, then, oh my goodness, you can use the money to buy, for example, seven volumes of books about bread <laughs> and bread making and send them to some person in New South Wales yeah. that's doing a course on how to make bread. Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, something that you think would have been of interest to maybe one person. And, and then it's going all over Australia. Yeah. You know, because we're the only library that can afford to purchase such a thing. So the opportunities for sharing and for being open and for being public, massive. Mm. But the reality is, yeah, not so much. And I know that, I mean, the reason, one of the main reasons why I started the Melbourne Art Library was because I went to Monash, went <gasps> to borrow out a book and my student card had expired <laughs> and I could no longer access that book, had a small breakdown <laughs> and then thought, what am I supposed to do? Um, and thought, oh, there needs to be another library <laughs> where I can go and borrow. Definitely. And that happens every day. And not just like my <laughs> card's expired, but, you know, oh, I've got... $25 worth of fines and I can only have $24.90 before my account gets cut off. Mm. Like, what is that about? But more and more libraries are at least removing fines. Yep. Yeah, which is wonderful. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and people are treated so badly. Like, you know, why are you reading that? What's that got to do with your PhD? <sighs> Who cares? Yeah. Let people read. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And your PhD is on the role of whether libraries are, the librarians are teachers. Do you want to speak a bit to that? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's very hard doing a PhD. Has anyone done them? No. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I underestimate a lot of things in my life, and that was probably one of the things I was like, can't be that hard, right? Like, you just write 100,000 words. Easy. Easy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I went out and I went to 19 different academic libraries mm-hmm. in Victoria. Yep. And I interviewed 38 different librarians who were working at the time. And they ranged from, you know, they'd been in the job for a couple of months to, you know, been there since the 70s, basically. Mm-hmm. 
and I asked them like what do you think about libraries what do you see are the changes obviously but yeah do you think that this thing that librarians do in front of a class is that teaching or not and people had a whole bunch of different ideas about no it's a service what you're providing is like you know you're giving a resource to someone you're not really you know they'll probably never remember how to find it for themselves all you're doing is opening a door and they can come back and then you can give them a book again. Is teaching any different to that? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. If you ask someone that question, you get a lot of different answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so I suppose what I'm thinking about now that I'm writing this all up and doing the discussion is that things occur on a spectrum and people change their minds and I'm sure I'm going to change my mind about yeah. everything I say tonight. <laughs> yeah. But even within one conversation, you know, people would contradict themselves and then go back and go, oh, actually, no, I don't think that was true. So oh, it's just amazing. But the incredible thing is the passion, right? Like, even with a librarian who... I'm thinking of one librarian who came across as very reserved and very kind of um, curmudgeonly, by the end of the interview, he was really talking about how much he loved the students. Like, that was where his passion was. Mm-hmm. And he talked about, um, you know, the importance of unions for librarians. And he just had this, like, ah, this fire for helping people find the information that they needed. Mm-hmm. So individuals are incredible. And organisations, maybe not that great. <laughs> but you're changing that, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. But having identified teaching as a, a core part or, yeah, or potentially a core part of librarianship shows that relationships is so integral to what a library is. Do you think that conversations and um, whether that's kind of formal instruction or if it's a reference inquiry or if it's just you pass someone who looks very confused in a shel- amongst the shelves and you point them in the right direction or people having a conversation while they're looking over a book together. Do you think those relationships are more important than the books or are libraries about resources, people or resources? Oh my God, that's such a good question. And I think, again, it's a, it's a spectrum, you know? So a lot of people talk about um, a spectrum that consists of relationships in libraries on one end and transactions on the other. You could argue that a transaction is a relationship, but usually people see it as something more hard and relationship is something more soft, maybe. I don't know, but I, I think you, you can't separate the two. Mm. Yeah, if you think about the life cycle of information, which is something that librarians talk about all the time, you know, the way that books are born is you know, through human ideas mm. and they come out of relationships. So of course they're gonna go into the hands of people that are performing some kind of relationship with each other and in a lot of ways librarians should just be the intermediary Mm. but then an intermediary can also be a gatekeeper yes yeah we've talked about and for us at the melbourne art library i think um more than i would like it to be the relationships and the transactions are a bit apart in the sense that because our physical space is so small, we have a space where there are books on a shelf and people come in and they borrow a book and that transaction occurs. And then we have events such as this, which complement that and try and extend 
a library into being a place of discussion or um, workshopping what our call number system will be or uh, just trying to support artists in different ways. But because of that kind of physical space constraint, we've had to separate those two elements of librarianship, I suppose. Oh, that's so Um, true. But it's also, it's been interesting for me and the other people as part of the team to, I suppose, change our thinking of what librarianship is in that when we started, it was very focused on resources. And I remember in the very early days when I was having discussions with different people about this idea that I have for an art and design library and talking it through, I was introducing the idea as one, a place where people could go to access resources that are hard to find because um, they're expensive or they're rare or they're only held in university libraries that we can't access. (laughs) Um, So that was one half of it and the other half of it was providing a home for books that aren't held in other collections, so um, self-published books or um, locally produced small press books that might not be sent to the State Library for deposit or might not be collected elsewhere. So it was kind of providing a home and a service for the books as well as for people to access those books. But it was still very... That was all about physical resources, but as we've grown, we're more interested in the discussion (laughs) and the the exchange of knowledge is both physical (laughs) knowledge written down, but it's also just these conversations. Um, So it's been a nice learning journey for us. It's yeah. amazing. Well, why couldn't it be the same for every library? Honestly, like, yeah, I know why. <laughs> I know why. Because, yeah, people have funny ideas about what should happen in rooms. They <laughs> do. It's weird. Yeah. And a bit of thinking about the role of a librarian as a teacher, a lot of it is about, I mean, you're the expert here, not me, but in terms of giving people the skills to then go and research or to opening those doors and enabling, um, yeah, enabling kind of further discovery, I suppose. So these kind of <laughs> discussions and encouraging the flow of ideas is so important in that way. Yes. And just the importance of information literacy. Yeah, definitely. That. I think that's how I felt about six years ago (laughs) but I think you know that's a we probably share this idea of what a teacher is you know that you're passing information from something or someone onto a group of people and I, I just I just think in the best possible way that's not what librarians do you know because a bad librarian can stand in front of a crowd and give the most boring talk and probably you will remember something from the talk, but, you know, how has that actually... I don't know. So, you know, a lot of people that I talked to said facilitation is the way. Like, if there's some way that we can be in the midst of students, learners, and we can use things like um, the zone of proximal development, which was a Vygotsky educational theory, to have people learn from each other, and increase their knowledge that way, that works much better. 
and I mean that's how it works in my life like I know about great books because Ellen says hey have you read this yeah Yeah. and you know someone else says oh have you tried this system Mm -hmm. because you know this is a great way to organize your things Mm -hmm. yeah and you know the books on the shelf here like you know the way that I would fill my library in the olden days as I told you was to take a picture of everything that was on display and then go and make sure we had it all yeah yeah so I don't know I still don't know. Are librarians teachers? I don't know. Maybe it's no longer important to me. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Thinking about going to going to another library and taking photos of it and then going back to your, your library, library and filling the shelves makes me think about the idea of competitiveness and whether libraries are free from competitiveness. And um, looking at kind of the arts landscape in Melbourne, one thing that I think that an art library could potentially do is provide a kind of safe space for development and there's so much competition in terms of um, trying to get an exhibition, applying for an exhibition in an artist-run space or trying to get an exhibition somewhere like here, but perhaps a library offers this kind of uncompetitive alternative space for development. Oh man, I would love that to be the case. (laughs) If you can make that happen, I will be there helping you 100%. But yeah, in my experience, librarians and their libraries are the most competitive places I've ever seen. What do you mean? So we compete for jobs. We have strict hierarchies about, you know, you've got your, um, well, your library technician, and then you've got your library assistant, and then your librarian. And we, do, we don't really value these things in the same way, even though people bring incredible skills yep. to libraries, you know. And we literally don't value them in the same way because you get more money if you're a librarian than if you're a library technician. And Mary Carroll, Dr. Mary Carroll, talks about how the library technician course was actually developed for women. So as something for women to do, like to keep them busy, because they wouldn't be librarians course because the men were going to be librarians right. <laughs> yeah that's right and they'd probably quit their job anyway when they got married right so just give them the library technician course they can do that and then you don't have to pay them as much interesting yeah so then that's part of the history of Australia yeah. that we're fighting against yeah for sure do you know are there is there sim- similar hierarchies around the world well Dewey of course you know the terrible and great Melville classification is at the key of everything. Oh my god, definitely. But he had the same idea. He knew women would be cheaper to staff Mm. the libraries, and yeah. But then at least he gave them some library school experience, and I don't know. Anyway, that's a whole other (laughs) kettle of fish for sure. Well, the reason there were two reasons why I studied formally studied librarianship, and one was that despite having worked in libraries, I couldn't get a job even as a library technician or a library assistant because I didn't have a piece of paper that said that I was um, recognised by ALIA, the Australian Libraries and Information Association. So then there was this imperative that I go to library school, which I have to say was quite boring. <laughs> but now I have that piece of paper that says I'm a librarian. <laughs> Who's a librarian here? And who thought library school was boring? 
Okay, you're a slight majority. I, I think having practical, like I just had a fantastic supervisor at the National Museum who took me through or taught me how to catalogue with Mark and then when I went to uni, it was good to get the theoretical underpinning of it, but I was kind of like, oh yes, I've done this and with other, I mean, other jobs working in collection management in cultural heritage spaces, I learnt those skills on the job and yeah, librarianship was different in terms of I couldn't I couldn't get into any of those institutions without that formal piece of paper. So it was very hierarchical in that sense compared to galleries and museums. Yeah, definitely. Mm. But the other way in which it's competitive, of course, is benchmarking and the um, use of very expensive tools to measure one collection against another. Yep. For example, OCLC has this product called Green Glass, which... Um, Monash University has used in the past and they take a snapshot of your collection Mm -hmm. so they upload all of your records and they can say oh look you've got a really strong collection in Asian languages and then they compare that collection to the University of Melbourne the University of Sydney and other libraries in Australia and say you know you've got the most unique items in this particular area of any institution in Australia which is fabulous. That's really interesting. You know, like, I love data and I love looking at things <laughs> like that. But then what do you do with it? Mm. Like, do you just chuck it in the bin or do you say, okay, given that we've got the best Japanese language collection in all of Australia, let's put that on a poster and get people to come and, mm. you know, invite people that aren't members of the university or not? Or do you just think, no, mm. it's enough? Yeah, and you want to protect that. Yeah, interesting. Question time. Yeah. <laughs> Am I talking too much? No, it's okay. Okay. Does anyone have a question? Yeah. Or a comment? Want to join the discussion? Well, as a layperson, I'm just sort of picking up on your comment about um, the library as a kind of like a repository or a space of transaction or a space of relationships, you know, mm-hmm. and then thinking about more recently, I guess, shift in my lifetime was seeing library from a very close to quiet space to a very social space, you know, and like that library Victoria presence, that library in particular, um, but also Monash Caulfield, you know, there's now a cafe in there, people mm-hmm. meet in there, and so it's, and then like, I guess, suburban libraries and community libraries are like information hubs and places where people go. So I guess, you know, going back to your point about the question of the social activity, the information exchange, and then the, the repository, and that kind of thing, like, how important is it now that libraries are social spaces? And I think, you know, the, the, is that a, a transition or is it in fact that has it always been a social space since the 18th century? I think it's important that there's so many different scales of libraries that you have, um, like you have these special collections, special libraries that are attached to state li- uh, sorry, to state galleries, state museums, and they are there as a specialist resource to um, support curators and conservators and support research in that space. And so I, like the National Museum Library, we didn't have any, it was not at all public facing and we didn't have a reading room even that curators could come to. Um, people, we were in a demountable inside a warehouse <laughs> in an industrial suburb of Canberra and people could um, request books through a catalogue and we'd drive to the museum and bring them straight to their desk. Um, so there was no social aspect at all. And then, I mean, the role of a national library or a state library is um, like a repository is so important for that um, kind of legacy aspect and the archival 
record. Um, but then you have public libraries who, that are there for kind of a more general audience and like I think having that breadth of um, different spaces is so important. So I think different types of libraries kind of answer that question in a different way. Yeah, oh, that's really good. So collection management theory always mm. says we start with the user. So hopefully a space is designed with the user in mind as well. So when I'm thinking about academic libraries, mm. if the way that people learn is by sitting in a cubicle and reading a book, and that used to be the way that we thought about learning, mm. like that's probably why university libraries look like that. Yeah. But then when it came you know, to the belief of, about learning happens in groups and learning happens by sharing information, of course then you're going to have tables and people talking and yeah. I don't know, but it, it does make me sad sometimes that libraries are too noisy, you can't sit in the back and read a book and you can't... But actually, I think it's probably more about social media and phones and the fact that I can't concentrate and now I need complete silence rather than <laughs> background noise in order to read. Mm. Yeah. This is opening up so many realms of possibility, though, about what a library could be, as you say, instead of trying to fix the old system, inventing these new systems, because you know, we have, along with the unfortunate aspect of social media and what that's done for information, we also have this ability to soundproof, this ability to have two rooms next to each other where one is completely silent and one is very loud. And so, And also, yeah, what you were saying about the idea of libraries being a public meeting space has just revolutionised what a library could be, mm -hmm. in my mind. So yeah. It's, it's really exciting. Totally. And, and that means that librarians need to work very closely with architects, which sometimes they do and sometimes they don't, um, in order to design spaces that actually fulfil the needs of the people that are using the space. So, you know, Caulfield has won awards and the design is incredible, but they forgot to put in a return slot. <laughs> so, I mean, that's been retrospectively added, kind of like hidden around like, whoopsies. You know, I, I would say, surely that's, I don't know, yeah. one of the main things you want to be able to do. Yeah. But it's also thinking about if, if the idea of a library gets more and more kind of broad, then what does that mean for the role of a librarian? Because already, we have to be very kind of data savvy and good attention to detail, cataloguing and um, manipulating data. But then also you can have a conversation with someone about how to find a book or try and um, workshop with someone to actually understand so they can understand what they're looking for. You've got teaching aspects, you've got um, being very strong <laughs> and moving books around. There's, it, there's already so much that a librarian has to do that if we also have to be event producers and um, social media experts and all of these things, then that, the role is growing and growing. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and do you <laughs> want to do those bits? In, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. So I think... Yeah, I think we've probably all talked about this as well, but like, wh okay, what holds us together then? Mm -hmm. If my job in the library is just to do the social media and make cute videos about yeah. people borrowing books, like, am I still a librarian? What makes me a librarian? Is it, what about if I worked in a place that didn't have any books? Mm -hmm. Am I still a librarian? What about if I go into another career and yeah. do something else? Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and artists have this same conversation too. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. I'm not making art, am I still an artist? Yeah. Well, I'd like to think <laughs> yeah. that we have something that we share and that that is the values of mm. providing access to information and doing that as widely as we can and as democratically as we can and yeah. so that everybody can have a chance to get that information. Yeah. Like, that is the core of what we do. And it doesn't matter if that's print or online or... Mm. Yeah. And it's funny because before I was kind of bagging the idea of going to library school to get a piece of paper, but... Getting a qualification that said that I was a librarian it gave me a sense of kind of stability <laughs> and that I thought, oh, great, now I can say for the rest of my life I am a librarian. If someone asked me at the airport, going through customs, what's your job, I can say I'm a librarian. I don't have to think, oh, I, I don't like <laughs> this role, I don't know. Um, but having that kind of piece of paper and that identity became very important to me. Um, yeah. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> so I, I hope that I can still be a librarian, if it, even if I'm not. I promise you will always be a librarian. Thank you. <laughs> but, you know, th those identity issues and the fact that we identify so heavily with our job, yeah. you know, this brings up all of the stuff that we've been thinking about in terms of Work Won't Love You Back, that book that came out. Um, how much of our lives are we actually handing over to organisations that maybe yep. don't have our best interests at heart, mm -hmm. but also identifying so strongly with a particular career brings all of those, you know, stereotypes. Mm -hmm. You know, librarians have to be introverted and, you know, librarians are usually women and all of these things that, you know, we're trying to fight against at the same time. Okay. Yeah. Well, I also feel like the fact that you were talking about the job as a librarian, the one that actually changed into liaison and the collection development and management aspect has been removed from your role, which is pretty drastic yeah. given that it's one of the four quadrants. Yep. Like, what does that mean about de-skilling our profession if we don't have that full broad knowledge of what we're doing as librarians? Yeah. And this, you're talking about like the arts field, it could be any of the disciplines that we work in. Like that really concerns me because like, it's really important for us as librarians to have that professional recognition because mm. that's what other people who aren't librarians recognise. Mm. And I think because we are a profession that really helps and is seen as feminised, um, and that's a bad thing, that we don't actually stand up for ourselves and say that we have a broad range of skills that are often like hidden and more about sort of, yeah, it's like facilitating, not sort of like grandstanding. And it really worries me that in the academic community of librarians that that's what's happening to our profession, that we're sort of like, these things are being taken from us and that we're not fighting for it. Yeah. And like the idea of like a physical space and it's about like those students joining and like coming together and learning, but then the collection being this sort of thing that they just turf out without any sort of like look at like sort of like what the data's showing. And like, as you say, the data can sometimes lie mm. and mm -hmm. Yeah, I get that. It sort of seems like we have this like, huge, like the corporatization of the university sector. But the library has such a huge part to play for academics, so we're still kind of protected by their protection. That like, who knows what's going to happen in ten years? Like, I don't know. It worries me that yeah. we don't have that sense of like that with like yeah, we don't co-work where I speak. Like it's. It's sort of like encoded to us that a lot of what we do can be done. Oh, not a lot, but some of what we can, yeah. I know, yeah. I 
think that for academic libraries, and like you're talking about public libraries, it's quite different than specialist libraries, so there's all these different sort of pockets of librarianship that have different issues and problems. But yeah, like the fact that an academic library is not a public library, they a lot of them are closed at the moment to the public because of COVID. So like, they're not public. Mm. That's the antithesis of what public is. Mm. Yeah. So it's like, uh-oh, we're not public anymore. Well, and with so many resources moving online more and more, if you don't have the student card to sign in and access the resources online, really? then, you know, before anybody could walk in in the 70s, even the 90s, and look at any academic journal for the article, now you can't do that mm. by and large. So that's a huge thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like the fact that it's gone to E makes it more accessible for a vast number of people, but yeah. then also closes it down to a lot of people as well. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. And I think, too, the thing about the the role and how certain aspects of it get stripped away. I think that that is symptomatic of that larger corporatization of higher ed because like research shows you can give somebody a variety of tasks and they can do it and have great job satisfaction. But from a business point of view, it's like Henry Ford, it makes more sense to have one person doing one thing mm -hmm. time and time again. That person may be miserable from a business point of view that doesn't really matter. So I think it's that as well, like you're getting roles now where it's like you are just doing social media or not even that, like you are just doing customer service, nine to five, Monday to Friday, that's what you're doing. That person may not enjoy that role particularly, but from a business standpoint, it makes more sense. So I think it's like a whole bunch of things that yeah. collaboration is coming up against. So ironic and antithetical to have information all around you and have to do the same thing over and over again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that was attached to the Queensland University of Technology. So we, as 15-year-olds, had full access to the QUT Creative Industries Library, which was incredible, and then went from there to university and then working um, in specialist libraries. Like at the National Museum, I could borrow anything from that library, but my friends couldn't, <laughs> which was always... I enjoyed the privilege, but kind of thought, like, this is weird that I can go home, I can show my housemate, but she can't access it. And then, yeah, when I came to Monash, I could still borrow borrow books. And then, yeah, it was a, it felt like 
a right was being revoked. But if I hadn't ever been inducted into that system, then I wouldn't even potentially know that this level of information was available beyond what was on the shelf at the public library, which in terms of arts resources is not much at all. Um, but yeah, it's, there's now, like I've gone back to uni this year, um, and I'm so excited to be able to access resources, but yeah, I can, yeah, I can very much see how artists might kind of re-enter institutions to maintain that level. Um, and I'm hoping that that's something that the Melbourne Art Library can provide an alternative to, that you don't have to continue to re <laughs> return to an institution, that anybody, whether they've um, kind of enjoyed that privilege before or haven't, can come to a space and have um, yeah, access to specialised resources to um, inspire their practice, to continue their practice, uh, to have discussion. And, yeah. and what about that level of privilege that's even above that, which is just having money? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like during COVID, I snuck into the library a few times to post books to students. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I went through official channels, the information that I got was, well, the students can just buy it. <laughs> they can just buy it on Amazon. Like, yeah. what, what world are people living in where they think that that's... But, yeah, no, that, that is the experience of a lot of people. Just buy it. Yeah, and I think that shows you're a very good librarian if it was, you felt like it was your... Like, you, you had to go in and <laughs> to the library and post a book, I think. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah, and that's an identity thing as well. Mm. You know, like, oh, I'm a helper. That's what I do. Mm. Yeah, which yeah. makes me feel better about the fact that I'm locked inside and... Mm. Yeah, of yeah. course. Thank you all so much for coming. Thank you, Romani. This has been great. We've had such kind of fleeting interactions before. It's been so nice to actually sit down and um, discuss things. Yeah, I can tell. We'll be friends now. Yes. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for joining in the discussion as well. It's been great. And, um, yeah, hopefully we can have more of these discussions, both formally and informally. Please visit the library and we can chat. Yeah, and thank you, Aka. Thank you, Agnes. <laughs>